the military uniform is as uncomfortable as it is inspiring. It is far more than just threading, stitches, buttons, and badges that gleam. For those that have earned the right to wear it, in many respects, it becomes who we are. Some may think that belief is illogical and bordering on hyperbole. But for those that have ever worn army green, navy black, or air force blue, I feel certain that they will all understand the assertion I have made and the truth that lives within it. The serviceman's dress uniform is earned over a crucible of trial and test. Sink or swim moments woven together over the span of weeks, months, and in some cases, years. It boasts with a unique humility your name, your rank, and all of the things you've accomplished. The military uniform tells a story. Deeds and qualifications rest with perfection on the chest and sleeves of the wearer. That is why I hold belief that in part, it becomes you. It did me. When first issued my dress uniform, my blood shed its crimson hue and instead became olive green. There was one day above the rest, which stands to serve as the most profound moment of which I was ever ordered to don those storied dress greens. It was a blistering day beneath a hot August sun in 2006. I was 23. Months out from medic school, waiting at a bustling city airport. Myself and a cadre of other military members had been assigned to a civilian flight for the purpose of transporting precious cargo. This is a mission that would ultimately change my life. Days before this prestigious assignment, a soldier from our unit was struck down and killed in an act of unspeakable evil. He was a mere two weeks away from his scheduled return home from Afghanistan. Corporal Andrew James Eichelimbo, a medic of one field ambulance, was killed by a suicide bomber while on a mission he had volunteered for. A mission he had no obligation to go on, but a mission he was eager to fulfill. He too was just 23 at the time of his death. Myself, back then, at 23, can barely be described as a man, more like a boy with a few pennies of experience. Yet, this man, Eichelinbo, willfully raised his hand to once again venture into the unknown of a land ravaged by war. The maturity and selflessness of that act is something I still find myself deliberating on all these years later. 
I had come to learn that he was as ferocious a warrior as he was a skilled healer. I admired him, never having the chance to tell him so. We were transporting the remains of Corporal Eichleboom to what would become his final resting place in Comox, BC. There was eight of us that had been selected for this somber mission. Apart from field exercises and my medical training and paramedic practicums that played out on East Hastings in Vancouver's Lower East Side, this served as my first real tasking as a soldier in the armed forces. This was not my first experience around death, but it was my first time carrying the heft of a fallen brother. It's a weight not easily described. Up until that moment, I never understood that a flag could weigh so much. I have since never been able to look at our nation's red and white the same. There is always a melancholy when I do. Sitting in the airport, warm beams of sunlight pouring in through the panes of glass that overlook the airfield, I recall feeling a sense of ambivalence rising inside of me as I waited for our flight. I watched as seemingly every other person in the airport carried on with their business as though our country hadn't just suffered an incredulous tragedy. Eichelin Boom was the first Canadian medic to be killed in combat since Korea, and the story was all over the news. There was even a bevy of replays airing on television screens throughout the terminal, depicting myself along with the seven other pallbearers retrieving Corporal Eichelin Boom's casket from a military transport plane the day previous. Some people would stop and watch the news story, yet then walked past us as though we were invisible to them. I was stricken with how no one seemed to care, seemed to mourn, or even acknowledge what they had just learned. It made me want a cold beer and a shot of whiskey, a perceived cure-all for the weary. But that respite would have to wait. We boarded the plane and I was seated next to a civilian that boasted a quiet curiosity toward me. She kept casting eyes toward me as we nestled into our respective seats. I chose to ignore her glancing stares and focused on an arbitrary patch of wall in front of me. My body was present in my assigned seat, but my mind was beneath the plane, resting next to a flag-draped casket that swaddled the sad remains of a fallen hero.
around mid-flight. Curiosity claimed the better part of the woman next to me, and she gently tapped beside my arm. Excuse me. I gave an ephemeral glance toward her tap before looking at the woman's face. Uh, yes ma'am. I couldn't help but notice. I'm sorry, but there are a number of you military types in the plane today. Uh, are you off somewhere special? Her query was followed by a kind and sincere smile. I wasn't sure how to respond. Special? Special to who? I suppose a final resting place could be counted among places that hold a moniker of special. But I felt that this was likely not what she had meant. Uh, yeah. Something like that. We're, uh, we're on assignment. We're heading to Comox. I had hoped my response would satiate her question but it was followed by several more. I eventually informed her of what we were doing and what the precious cargo beneath the plane really was. Her kind features began to falter and give way to a noticeable sadness. For the first time all day, I related wholly to a civilian. When the plane landed and came to a standstill, the captain's voice cracked in through the speakers. Ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to thank you for choosing to fly with us this evening. At this time, we'd like to ask that you remain seated. You may have noticed that there are several members of our Canadian Armed Forces traveling with us today. They are escorting the remains of a fallen soldier, Corporal Andrew James Eichelenbaum, back to his hometown of Comox. We ask that you allow these men and women to dismount the plane before leaving today, as they will be taken to the runway below and retrieve the casket of one of their own. At the culmination of this announcement, an audible volley of begrudging sighs and fluster was easily distinguished from several of the passengers. My eyes shot daggers into each of them. Absolute disdain crawled from the blacks of my pupils. Not one of those whom had chose to lament looked at me. We disembarked from the plane and readied ourselves in position below the cargo hold we would retrieve the flag-draped casket and carry it to an awaiting hearse. Eichelin Boom was buried in Courtney Civic Cemetery a few short days later on another sunny August day. Not a day goes by where I do not think of that time. The folding of the flag, the ceremonious firing of rifles, the metal clang of a nearby flagpole, and the sound of a subtle wind playing on the grass and trees and perhaps most notably of all the bereavement of those that knew and loved him their anguish spilled out from behind my shoulder as I stood at attention on August the 19th of 2006 Mother Earth embraced the remains of another fallen soldier today 17 years later beneath a hot August sun I remember that soldier I always will holding up in Hollywood in a state I never could looking for a reckoning digging up what I 
waiting I'm waiting on a heartache To prove I'm alive I'm waiting I'm waiting on a heartbreak To prove what's inside Oh, I got a lot to say When I feel that heat exchange And I'll see your eyes that wait What I like no words can fake I'm waiting I'm waiting on a heartache To prove I'm Inside me, I don't even understand. There's violence waiting on the heart of man, gives way to love.